Well, hasn't it been an awesome morning already? And we have a special treat for you. Um, Lawrence is actually in Roswell, New Mexico this morning, and he's speaking there and then speaking this week at a Christian school there, bringing some finance curriculum and Bible curriculum that he does at our Christian school here. So he's bringing that there. But that's exciting news because that means that we have with us Ken and Eve Spicer from California. Ken and Lawrence were speaking at a conference together many years ago now, and we just became great friends, and they're the type of friends, you know, where you, know, you can just let your hair down, say what you want to say. It's all good. You can be gone for six months and get back together, and it's like you never even left off. They're just such great friends of ours, and we're so excited to have them. So as Ken's coming... I just want to say that he, we're, you're really in for a special treat. He's already been in six nations this year. You are going to really enjoy the ministry time this morning with Ken Spicer. Well, good morning, Destiny family. Man, it is good to be home. And truly, Lawrence and Tracy and their girls are family to us and we just feel so loved when we're here, and, and it really is just, uh, we love Oklahoma. It's got a, just a very dear spot in our heart, and um, our youngest son was born here. He just now had his first son, he and his wife, and uh, just a few weeks ago, so we're excited, and of course, they're all mad when we come and they can't. My oldest son and his wife actually wanted to come on this trip, but um, we felt like they should probably stay home and not get in our way while we're enjoying ourselves, so... It's good to see you today. So Lawrence said because he's gone, I could just take as much time as I wanted. We all know that's not true, don't we? Very, very specific instruction, but I've already talked to him, and he's very relaxed and excited for all of us today. You know, today we're going to have a tribute to our veterans here in just a, a, a short while uh, toward the conclusion today. But... Um, you know, I thought it was fitting today on Veterans Day to just acknowledge the veterans, but also bring just a little uh, encouragement along the lines of courage today. Uh, so if you're a veteran of any branch of the military, uh, but especially the Marines, <laughs> who had a birthday yesterday, uh, would you just please stand up just for a moment so we could all just say thank you to you for your service. Thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice, your commitment. Thank you. Our oldest son just finished his um, four years in the Marines as well. Uh, I did six years active, and, um, you know, it was a great, great time for me. And, and um, we just really appreciate uh, the veterans and all that you have made possible for all of us, even doing what we're doing here today. So let's pray. Today we're going to get into something that, that essentially I'm calling the courage to embrace the plan of God. And what I want to share with you today is that it does take courage to embrace God's plan, but God provides the courage. It's like the song we sang. He did it once and for all. And I think that the Christian life is far less about what we do and far more about what he's done. 
Because if we could just re realize and recognize what he's already accomplished for us, then the work of this thing, the, the, the effort that we, that we you know, sort of invest into this life is really more about learning to rest in that finished work than to fight any battles or climb any hills because indeed he has done the difficult part for us, hasn't he? And, uh, and so uh, let's, let's pray and we'll get started this morning. Father, we're so grateful today for your presence. We thank you that where two or three are gathered together in your name, we are there and that you are there in the midst of us. And we know that we always carry your presence, but there's a, a unique and tangible um, manifestation of that presence when we are together. And so we thank you today, Lord God. Have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen? Well, uh, you know, again, I think that uh, if... It's easy to sort of get confused about what the Christian life is about. And I think that if we uh, somehow think in our minds that this is reduced to just learning how to work out some principles, follow a few steps, you know, be very diligent and disciplined in doing those things, that this is all going to work out really well. And if that's the case, if that's what we think, then what we have essentially done is embraced a kingdom without a king. The only thing this really is about is his presence in your life. He just wants to relate to you. He wants to be in a relationship. He is a father. Jesus even said to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And, uh, and, and so the reason why this is such a, a message of my heart, and I've been in several nations this year, it's what I preach everywhere I go, you know, different variations, of course. But the overriding premise here is that the gospel is about Jesus, not about you. The gospel is about what God did for us. And so we're going to see as we talk about the, this need for courage, he provided everything we need to have the courage that is required. He has done it for us. God became a man and had faith for us. He tried to make a covenant with a man one time and it didn't work out too well. So then he became a man and made a covenant with himself. And you and I, like Mephibosheth of the old covenant, are just recipients of a covenant that's unbreakable now between God the Father and God the Son. Amen. And so when we understand this, uh, it's important to note that what we don't know can hurt us. Ignorance is not bliss. God wants you to understand. Some people say, well, you just never know uh, what God's going to do. Well, yeah, you kind of do because he wrote it down for us. Amen? You say, well, you know, God sure is mysterious. Well, Paul said he was mysterious, but then he made the mystery known to us. Amen, somebody. Preach it, Pastor Ken. I'm with you. I know it's early, but praise the Lord we're here. He revealed the mystery. He's not trying to keep us in the dark. And so I just want to lay a little bit of a foundation here today in a few verses. I'm big on the Bible, if you'll indulge me here. Uh, Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So this is, this is the idea that in his presence is a fullness. You know, sometime in the midst of trial, in tribulation, maybe at the end of the game yesterday, uh, there was a loss of joy. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. So when we lose joy in the midst of trouble, then essentially we've lost our strength. 
And we've also drifted a little bit from an awareness of who we really are and where we really are, which is always in his presence. God's not running off on you when you have a rough patch. You need to know that. You need to believe that. You say, man, God can't be a part of my mess. Well, as a father and now a grandfather of five, he can be. He's all up in your mess. If you're there, he's there. And we'll address that as we go today. Uh, let's go to this next verse, Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17, my daughter, uh, who's got three sons, they're all named with Zs. I joke with her that this would be a great one if she ever has another child. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save, which uh, as we know means far more than just dying and going to heaven. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He's always in a good mood. See, this is the thing that I think we need to remind ourselves about our father is that he's the happy God, not the angry God. He's the loving God, not the, you know, cynical God. He's the God that's always more than enough and singing over you, not the one that's, that's sort of just frustrated with you. If your picture of God in your life is always that he's a little bit removed from you and always mildly um, irritated, frustrated, disappointed, then you need to adjust your understanding of who your father is. He's got a different perspective. And let me say this, he is never, ever like that with you. Now, I'm not saying he approves of everything, but he always accepts you for who you are. When, if you'll remember when Jesus was resurrected, uh, even the angel told you know, the, the women there, because the men were hiding, of course. The angel tells the women there, go tell the disciples and who? And Peter, that he will meet them in Galilee. And so they go out there, and then of course Jesus, he starts messing with Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he said, agape. And Peter's like, man, he had, he had come down off his high horse, hadn't he, by then? He says, Lord, you know I phileo. I love you like a brother. Jesus said it again, Peter, do you agape? He was, he was exasperated by this point. He says, God, you know, Jesus, you know I phileo. I can only say that I love you like a brother because he just couldn't bring himself to say, I love you unconditionally. So Jesus did something, I think, that reverberates through this room this morning, and that is he said, Peter, do you phileo? See, God will always come to where you are. He will not require you to be where you're not. He's not expecting you to be someplace you're not. He will come to you. He'll find you right where you are, the way you are, and love you just like that. And so when we carry the heart of the Father, we love people, whether they look like us, vote like us, believe like us, live like us. Our job is to love everybody and change nobody. Because we all know that the love of God will mess with people. But they don't have to know that. We don't have to tell them that up front, do we? Just let them, let them experience it the way you did. Nobody was looking at their watch saying, you know, it's been two weeks. You should have this all cleaned up by now. But sometimes we do that to other people, realizing, not realizing perhaps, that that's not what God does. Our, our 
son, Sam, and his wife, Sierra, just had their baby, little baby boy, Asher, and we were there. The doctor came in, and she walks over to the baby. She's looking at the baby, and she's, she says this that I just thought was, was hilarious. She goes, has the baby pooped yet? And they said, well, no, he, he hasn't pooped yet. She said, oh, well, he's got 24 hours. And she, you know, did her thing and then she left. And then I'm just like logging this in my brain because God is singing over you and he knows in the next 24 hours, you're about to poop some stuff up. It's expected. Who would have ever thought he expects you to make a mess? It's just what babies do. It's just what people do. We just make a mess of stuff and he's not tripping about that. He wants you to know that he's okay with your poopy mess. Whatever it might look like, in the next 24 hours, you're very likely to have a, 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 an episode. <laughs> right? Next verse, Isaiah 43. Verse 18 and 19. Do not remember the former things. If you've got people in your life that keep taking you back to your worst failure, Maybe it's time for, uh, you know, some movement there. That, that poopy mess could be a really nice thing, can it? People under 40 are like, why do the old people always talk about pooping? I don't get it. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. That's not who you are any longer. You're a new creation. Stop talking about how this has always happened to you and your family, your granddaddy, your daddy. Now it's probably going to happen to you. You've got a new bloodline. The Bible says you're a new creation. Let's start speaking life. That used to be my story. That's not my story any longer. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Listen, some people in this room today have been waiting for God to finish something that he promised you. And this is a prophetic word to some of you, if you'll just hang on to it, is I believe not only is God doing a new thing today, but he's doing a now thing. I know there's a process. We look at Joseph, it was more than 10 years. We look at David, more than 10 years. We look at Abraham, it was 25 years. But I believe today I got a prophetic word for somebody in this room, he's doing it now. He's gonna do a now thing in your life. And, and it always amazes me how God does a new thing an old way. He always does it the same old way, but it's always to us a new thing, and it's new every morning, the Bible says. We get to expect something new every single day, so don't get up in the morning on Monday and start you know, griping and complaining about what the day may hold, because I'm telling you, he's promising you something new. Amen? He goes on to say, shall you not know it? Shall you not know it? It's a rhetorical question. He's implying that you will know it. You do know it. He's not trying to keep you in the dark. Like I said earlier, it was a mystery. It no longer is. Now, we just had a, uh, a World Series in which our team played again for the second year in a row. And you guys wouldn't know anything about having a playoff team that doesn't quite get the job finished, but, but we do know something about that. We know something about that two years in a row but, but what gets me about baseball is that when in a game of baseball, when the, when the manager, the coach goes out to the pitcher's mound to talk to the pitcher and then everybody comes in, the, the manager will always put his finger over his lips like this to talk. 
and the players always put their gloves over their mouth. Why? Because they know the other team has people in the clubhouse watching the television and they can read lips. So they, they obscure what they're trying to communicate by covering their mouth. Let me tell you, God is not trying to keep you out. He's drawn you into the huddle. He's brought you into the, the secret place. He, he's communicating his heart to you. He's speaking to you. You know, um, my wife and I, we, we sleep with two fans and a noise machine on in our, in our house. And then she sometimes will go into the bathroom with the fan on in the bathroom and then begin to talk to me from another room. And then I, at first it didn't really bother me, but then what I realized is as, you know, we've been married for, you know, how, how many years have we been married, babe? I mean, it's been a long time. Well over 20 years. Then I noticed very early on that I'm responsible. There will be a quiz. I'm expected to know what she's saying even when she's in another room and talking to me above three fans and a noise machine. See, God is speaking to us all the time and sometimes we have all this racket going on, we have all this distraction, self-imposed, and we're saying, well, you know, I, God never speaks to me. I mean, Pastor Lawrence, he, gets, he, he hears from God all the time, but I don't know why I, God doesn't speak to me. Yes, he does. He's speaking to all of us all of the time. It's just a matter of maybe turning, turning off some of the distraction, turning down the level of some of the noise and just allowing him to speak. Isn't that exciting? God wants us to hear him. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He's going to take care of us. He's going to provide for us. So it takes courage to embrace his plan because it's, it's a little different for the world. So we're going to talk about three elements of this courage that he gives us. And number one is this. We will be known by his presence. You will be known by his presence. God wants you to carry him everywhere you go. And, and you do anyway. But see, here's what makes it so powerful is when you're aware of it. We just did an outreach the other day where we partnered with the fire department in our city and the Red Cross, and we just provided about 30 people that went out amongst other people in the community, and we uh, installed smoke detectors in the, in the homes of elderly folks in the community. And I'm not very good with a power tool, so I wasn't going to be the installer. It was a four-person team. I didn't really want to do the talking and so I just hung out with the installer. I shined a little flashlight on his, you know, on his screw gun there. And then what I did is I just went around the house. Wherever I went, I just touched everything. I just touched everything. I felt like some people were thinking, what is this? Why is, why is he touching my stuff? You know, because the other thing we sleep with in our house is a diffuser. It diffuses wonderful fragrances of essential oils throughout our, our home and I know this, that I'm a diffuser from heaven. And what's on me can come off. What's on me is tangible. If I talk to you today, I'm likely to not only shake your hand, but touch your elbow or put my hand on your shoulder. I like to believe that I'm carrying something on me that can come off of me. And so if I'm in your house, I'm just touching stuff. I'm just, I'm just yeah, how you doing? Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm just praying in tongues under my breath. I'm believing that I'm diffusing the fragrance 
of heaven. My wife and I don't always interact this way, but a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning, she's running around doing something in worship, and I'm in the, in the sanctuary of our building, and she, I walk by her, and then she walks over to me, and she's like... <laughs> and I, I think she's going to tell me I smell bad or something. I said, what's going on? She goes, you smell good. I go, well, you know I do, girl. That's the presence of the Lord right there. I like the, I like the aftershave you're wearing. But, you know, but, but that's really, you know, Chris talked about changing the atmosphere this morning in prayer. You change the atmosphere just by walking in. You can change it by what you say. How many of you know you can talk yourself into a bad day? You're not even out of bed yet. Come on, somebody. I mean, you can decide that this is just gonna go sideways from the get-go. Or you can just make it be something else simply by what you say. But just when you walk in the room, you're changing, you're affecting atmospheres by what's in you and upon you. And God wants you to understand that. So let's go to Exodus chapter three, verses uh, 11 and 12. This is when Moses, of course, he's standing before the, the burning bush. And... Uh, and what I love about this whole episode, and there's, there's a few questions here, but today we only have time for one. And Moses is gonna ask a question I think we've all asked at some time or other. And let's pick it up in verse 11, Exodus three. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve or worship God on this mountain. What I love about that is, is he's like, who am I? I mean, we've all probably thought that. Somebody says, hey, I want you to apply for that job. I know you're not really qualified for, but I think you should try. And your first response is, well, well who am I? You know, there's an opportunity. Maybe you should write that book. Maybe you should, should start that business. If you're waiting for the perfect time, you'll never do anything. So maybe it's time to step out on a dream. Maybe God spoke to you many years ago and perhaps your first response to that is, well, who am I? Who, who am I? Hey, how could I possibly do that? I mean, I live in, in, in you know, this part of the country or I live in, you know, we, we minister in a very, uh, depressed part of Southern California. Very undereducated, very underemployed, underserved in a lot of ways. And, and people in our, in our community now have thought for a hundred years that there's just no hope for them. And there's been a spirit of poverty and a, and a lying spirit over that region. And we came to town 14 years ago and we started saying industry is coming to this place. I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I know this is going to change. And then the other day, sure enough, you know, businesses are announcing that they're moving to our city and to our area. And it's the fastest growing segment of the entire state of California. Amazon's gonna hire a thousand people in the next few months. So we're believing that those mindsets begin to change, but people, you can almost hear it inside of them. Well, who am I? And have you ever asked God a question and, and he, he answers in such a way that you think he wasn't really listening? Moses is like, who am I? And God says, I will surely be with you. Um, okay, did, did you hear what I, did you hear the question? Should I start over? 
I mean, I, we probably all done that to our children from time to time, and we think, well, maybe he didn't hear. He said, I will certainly be with you. Well, who are you? Really, who are you? Well, you're the one that God wants to be with. You're the one that he said, I will certainly be with you. You're the one that he promised he would never leave nor forsake. You're the one that he promised that he would love unconditionally. That's without condition, by the way. You're the one that's the apple of his eye. And we've talked about this before in this room. You're his favorite, except for me. And I'm his favorite except for you. And if you believe that and I believe that, that's really all that matters because we know who the disciple Jesus loved was. It was John because it's written in the Bible five times, but it's only written in the book of John. <laughs> He's the only one that believed it. But guess what? He's the only one that mattered in his life. Who cares what anybody else thinks? You're God's favorite. If you really knew that and really believed that, you might carry yourself differently. You might, you might step into some scenarios that you know God is calling you into, but guess what? If the, the dream and vision on the inside of you is not so big that requires his help, then let me tell you today, he's not the one telling you to do it. Because he'll make sure to, to drive a vision and a dream on the inside of you so deeply that you have to have him to accomplish it. Because if you can do it with your skill set, your degree, your experience, your wonderfulness, then I'm telling you, you don't need God. And he's not putting you in that situation. Because he'll make sure that there's no excuse but him. Amen? Amen? So you are the person. I mean, think about Moses. They had a pillar of cloud by day. They had pillar of fire by night. They had barbecue flying in every afternoon pre-coated in barbecue sauce. They had Krispy creams falling from the sky every morning. God promised. Everybody that knew the Israelites knew one thing. The presence of God is on those people. The presence of God is with those people. God is with them. That is something that I think is amazing. And if that's true for them, and now we're talking pre-cross days, well, how about you? How much more for you? How much more for me? Why, why do we look at people in the Bible and think there's something special? They're nothing special. They're there to give you hope and courage in your own circumstance. And now we've got Jesus. We're born again. You know, we're going to get to heaven and we're going to want to go talk to Moses and find out, man, what was it really like? And he's going to say, well, first of all, I'm Charlton Heston, but thank you. <laughs> Moses is that little guy over there. Uh, <laughs> And we're going to want to know, man, what was it like? And he's going to say, you know, we've got a, a, a little bit of time here to talk about that. But could we first find out what was it like to have God living in you? Could you just tell me what was it like to have the spirit of God living inside of you? Because I didn't have that. And see, we, we deduce our relationship with God as something less than what we can imagine, but I'm telling you, God has taken the limits off of us and unleashed us with the power of his love and his heart into a world that desperately needs to know that. Amen? And so I think that it's important that we get our minds around this. In Hebrews 8, 6, the Bible says Jesus was the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. God's made you a promise. And if you're born of the Spirit of God, what could possibly stop you? 
what could possibly stand in your way? In Acts 15, Acts 5.15 rather, Peter's shadow healed people. I mean, they touched Jesus' garment. Paul sent out cloths from his body. They laid on six people, sick people, and Peter's shadow healed people. Can you imagine? Just being aware that the presence of God is on you so thick. I mean, if that had been 2018, Peter might have taken a time out of ministry, written a book, tried to get on Oprah, and talked about this is how you heal people with a shadow. But I don't, I, I, what I love about it is he didn't even try to explain it. Today, we maybe try to say, well, you know, this is why it happened because I was up early this morning and I do this every day and I do that and I do this for 15 minutes and I put my right foot in and a right foot out and I shake it all about and I do the Christian hokey pokey and then God shows up because I'm so wonderful. He didn't try to explain it. He was like, I'm just trying to get a burrito, people. I don't have time for this. And people are getting healed because his shadow. Listen, a shadow has no substance. It's actually the absence of something. It's the absence of light. But do you know that your shadow will release whatever overshadows you? When you walk in the room, I'm telling you, things begin to change. And it's not about you, it's about the one you're carrying. You're importing the power of God, the presence of God, the provision of God into a situation. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the second point here. And we're gonna be right on time. You know what that means in preacher talk, right? Number two, we will be known by his promise. So we're going to be known by his presence. And when his presence overshadows us to this point of we're understanding and then cooperating with his presence, then we can clearly understand and embrace his promise. Well, what is his promise? Well, the Bible says he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. The reason we seek him is because we want more of him. He's the point. He is our exceeding great reward, amen? So we're not trying to get stuff from him, we're trying to get him, and when we get him, then we get a lot of stuff too. It's wonderful. But the promise is whatever you need today. The promise is I'm never gonna leave you, I'm never gonna forsake you. The promise is you're the apple of my eye. The promise is I love you without condition. That's the promise. In Joshua 5, 13 through 15, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he's out surveying the battlefield early in the morning, wondering how is this gonna happen? Here they are, they're eating, you know, Krispy Kremes falling from heaven. Now they're in the promised land and now there's a fortified city in front of them. It's interesting that we don't like the wilderness experiences, but it's in the wilderness they didn't have to do anything. It's in the promise, you gotta stand up. So he says, who are you? And he said, no, but as I'm here as the commander of the army of the Lord, and that's how I've now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Of course, this is Jesus in the manifested reality of the captain of the Lord's host. Call it a, a, a theophany, a Christophany, call it Jesus before Bethlehem, it doesn't really matter, that's who he is. Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, verse 15, take your sandal off your foot for the place where you are standing is holy. You think that Joshua, remember in chapter one where he was really insecure about Moses being dead and he was thinking, who am I? 
And God said, listen, I'm gonna be with you as I was with Moses, and now here they are. Now fast forward, they're in the promised land. They're about to go against this city that surely is gonna destroy them. And Jesus shows up and does the same thing that God did with Moses in front of the burning bush. Take your shoes off where you're standing is holy. Now, we don't have time to read the next portion in Joshua chapter six, but he said, what do you want me to do? He lays out this elaborate plan to him and he goes back to the elders and it doesn't record it this way, but I'm thinking it might've started this way where he says, um, you're not gonna believe this. <laughs> We're going to walk around the city once a day for six days. Oh, and here's the, here's the difficult part. We can't talk. Isn't that wonderful? God even then knew that if the church started talking, they talked themselves out of it. <laughs> like, are you serious? We need a new pastor. This is crazy. Number one, we can't be quiet. And number two, we're supposed to walk around this thing. These people have, have weapons up there. This is the most fortified city of the entire Canaan land. This is surely suicide. And he goes, well, I know it sounds crazy, but listen to this. On the seventh day, we're gonna do it seven times. And then the seven priests with seven trumpets are gonna blow those trumpets. By the way, the trumpet was made of a ram's horn, which you can only get from the death of a male lamb. Come on, somebody. The, death, the, the sound of the death of the male lamb will cause some things to fall in front of you. Anyway, he said, they're gonna blow the trumpets and then we're gonna shout. And then the walls are gonna fall right down on top of themselves and we're just gonna walk right in. And archeology span has proven that that's exactly how it happened. It just pancaked right on top of itself. See, when God is coming to you with a strategy, it's likely not going to make sense to your mind. And if you can only trust him when you can figure it out, you've just reduced him to being a God made in your image. If the kingdom of God can only take place within your ears, <laughs> Woo, come on somebody, that's scary. <laughs> if we could figure it out, I mean, I, I, you know, I went to school in Mississippi, I, I hope I can't figure God out. There has to be an element of mystery. As much as he wants us to know him, as much as he's invited us in, as much as he sits and sups with us and communes with us and has a relationship with us, he is our head, we are his body, he is our husband, we are his bride, as much as that's true, there's things that we're not going to understand. And so when he says, listen, I want you to do this, really the best thing to do is do that. He's gonna speak into our circumstance. He's gonna have the best ideas for our dilemma, amen. Let's go to number three and last. We will be known by his provision. So if our life is known by his presence, his promise, then we can rely on his provision. Listen, God's not asking you to foot the bill of the dream he's given you. He's just not. You know, uh, listen, God's asked you to, to build something, to, to, to invest in something, to, you know, lead something, and then suddenly we start counting the cost, which is not a bad thing in, in a certain realm. But let me tell you, if you've got it in the bank, then I would say God's not speaking to you about that. It's his provision that matters. Amen? And this is not just money. In 1 Samuel 16, now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king. See, they chose the king the first time. 
The second time around, he's like, I got this. <laughs> remember what he told Saul? I remember, I knew you when you were little in your own eyes. Well, now I've got this little shepherd boy over here. He's after me. He's writing love songs to me. I can't get away from him. He followed me all over the playground. He wants me to be his God. And I'm going to make him king over all my people. Have you ever mourned over a season of your life that God said, you need to let that go? You know, the Bible, the Bible <laughs> leadership training says that your life will, will mimic, will be an average of the five people you spend the most time with. Some of us need to up the average. Amen, Pastor Ken. Up it. You can do it with love, but you're not obligated to spend time with people that are trying to bring you down. The bottom line is God says this season is over. Stop mourning for what I've moved you on from. Maybe it's time to step into a new season in your life. And you can do that right here. Maybe it's time to start leading that ministry. Maybe it's time to start heading up something here, some outreach uh, you know, um, expression of destiny. Maybe something that you know you've held back from because you're asking the question, why me or who am I? But God wants to use you. There's something in you that he wants to pull out of you and it's gonna be a blessing to people around you. Amen? So we go on now in this story and I don't, I'll just kind of paraphrase because we don't have time to read it all. But, um, but they go to Jesse's house, the prophet does, and he looks at Eliab, the oldest son, and he goes, surely the Lord's anointed. And God's like, nope, that's how it happened the first time. He looked like a king. He had a presence. He walks in the room. You can tell he's got that, that, that oldest brother swag about him, you know. God says, no, I'm not looking at the outer like, like everybody else does. I'm looking at something deeper than that. See, we've done that in church. We've done it in, in the world, in politics. Hey, if somebody's charismatic, they've got an oratory gift, then let's promote them and then let's hope that they'll be faithful. And oh, how the mighty have fallen. Because Paul comes along and tells Timothy, Timothy, take all that I've taught you and commit these things unto faithful men and women. And they'll be able to teach others also. Well, they don't look like teachers. They don't carry themselves like leaders. That's okay. Well, what will they be able to teach? They can teach faithfulness. We'll just start there. But it never works the other way around. We promote people and then pray that they're faithful. Let's look for faithfulness and promote that. And guess what? They will develop into the leaders that we need, that your business needs, that your company needs. And frankly, hiring veterans, if you're a, if you're a, a hiring manager for a company, is not an act of, of uh, you know, generosity or, or uh, charity. It'll help your business. Maybe they don't have the degree you're looking for, but when a 22-year-old can make a difference on a battlefield or he's under the stress of the day where, you know, the, the general's plan, the captains give orders, but the sergeant's making the decision on the ground that can affect more people in one moment than anybody else, I'm telling you, those are some skill sets that your company could use. That's for free. That's not part of the message, but hey, I thought it, thought it might work. So he said, hey, is there anybody else in... Jesse said, well, there is the, the youngest. He's out in the field with the sheep, but he's kind of stinky, you know? And he said, we'll just stand up till he gets here. If you know anything about military custom, when the, when the commander walks in, you stand up. I worked in a place in D.C. for a while, and when the colonel walked in the office, everybody stood up, and somebody that saw him first better shout attention on deck. He said, we'll just stand up till he gets here. They, they honored him. He walks in, and God says, that's the one. And watch this now. Samuel poured the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. 
That means there wasn't a day in his life that God wasn't with him. You mean even with Bathsheba, even with her husband, Uriah, was he that, yes, he was with him like he's with you. If he never left David, how much more is he not gonna leave you? He doesn't approve of everything, but if we were aware of his presence, it would change the way we live. And this is what I like the most. He anointed him in the middle of a bunch of people that didn't like him. <laughs> God's not asking those people that don't like you what they think about you. He's gonna stand you up. The Bible says he's gonna set a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He's gonna anoint your head with oil. He's gonna cause your cup to run over and he don't care what they say about it. I mean, do you know there's people on Facebook just waiting for you to die, waiting for you to lose, waiting for you to fail? You don't have to clap back on them. You don't have to answer back to that. Just live and be who God called you to be. He's anointed you in the presence of those very people that criticize you. And frankly, he's not asking you either about who he's anointing, is he? You ever been there? I told him one time, Lord, I just don't know about that. I know that guy and I don't approve of that. <laughs> he's like, okay. I even went to the guy's church because I heard he got a big building and all this. And I stopped in front of it and I said, Lord, I'm just, I gotta call you out on this. This guy is a shyster. He's done some things to me that aren't right and you know it. And then I just, you know, I, I told him my piece and you know what he said when I was done? Are you done? And I said, well, yes, sir, I believe I am. He goes, then shut up and drive yourself back home and don't worry about him. That's my son you're talking about. I'll deal with him. How many of you know that God is worth trusting with other people as well? Three things I want you to take away from today. Number one, God wants us to be aware of his presence. See, the courage comes that we have in life to face everything that we face because he's with us. Number two, he wants us to trust his promise. We can live on his promise. He'll never break. The Bible says that not one word, Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the word of God, of his promise will ever, ever not come to pass. And he wants us to partner with his provision. What he's giving you, he's giving you for kingdom purposes. He doesn't want us to just sit up like we're something special. He wants us to just be a pass-through for all the things he's trying to get into the earth. Amen? You know, there's a verse in Isaiah 60, verse 1 not on the overhead that says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord, his weighty presence has rested upon you, has come upon you. And do you know there's a verse in Isaiah, I think it's 28, it might be 48, it might be neither, but it's in Isaiah somewhere. That God says, I will not share my glory with another. Wait a minute, Pastor Ken, I thought you said the glory of the Lord's risen upon me. It has. Well, I thought you said God won't share his glory with another. He did. Well, what does all that mean? It means you're not another. Wherever you are, that's where he is. Hello, somebody. You are his body. He is your head. He is your God. There, it's hard to tell where he starts and you stop and where you stop and he starts. That You can never undo that. You can never be not with him. 
You can never be separated from him. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Paul said it this way, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principality nor power nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing could ever separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is not gonna be separated from you. So he's endorsed you to carry his glory. He's endorsed you to carry his presence. He's endorsed you to be a, a holder of his provision. He's given you the understanding of his promise so you can impact the nations of the world. I'm telling you, now is the time. Our country's never been more divided and I'm telling you, it, our, our, I believe it's stronger today than ever. Our differences make us interesting. They make us stronger. They don't discount anything. God wants us to embrace each other in spite of those differences and have conversations. You know, the positions people hold, they hold for a reason that you don't have any idea about. And you hold yours based on your life and your upbringing and the things you've experienced. And I'm telling you, that's okay. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's time now to bring the focus on God's kingdom because I had a prophecy after the election the other day. And it was the most accurate prophecy you've ever heard. And this is what I told our church a week ago. I think you should vote. I think you should vote your conscience. I think you should vote because people in this room paid the price to make sure we can vote and people before us have bled and died for that right. But at the end of it all, no matter how early you get up on Wednesday morning, this is the prophetic part, Jesus is still on the throne. Amen. And I'm not sure any politicians know what they're doing anyway, no matter which side of the aisle they're on. So we need Jesus to lead us into this place of understanding. So today what we wanna do is I just wanna encourage you real quick to just lean in to his presence. Trust his promise and realize that his provision is an absolute in your life. Everything that you have, he's gonna make sure you have it, what you need to do what he's called you to do. Amen.